Blog Talk Radio. From Los Angeles, California, it's Music Friday, the end of the week program where you choose the hot new upcoming bands you want to hear, and we put them on the air. I'm your host, Patrick O'Heffernan, broadcasting every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Block Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. It's November 22nd, 2013, and today... We are going to be talking with three great talents. At 2.05 Eastern, Noctambul will join us and play cuts from their debut album, Travel in the Shadows. Noctambul is a newly formed band by guitarist Bruce Victor and longtime Northern California Irish music artist Marla Fibish, and both of them will be on the line. And at 2.30 Eastern, film director Sini Anderson will be our guest to tell us about the making of her new film, The Punk Singer, a documentary on Kathleen Hanna, founder of Bikini Kill, a Tigre, and currently the lead singer in the Julie Ruin Band. So this is your show. These artists are here to talk with you, so call in. 347-215-7511 or email your questions and comments to musicfriday at gmail.com or log into the chat room or hit us on Twitter. We're at at sign Music Friday Live. And if you know of a hot band that you think should be on Music Friday, tell us. Go to our website, musicfriday.nationbuilder.com. Click on your choice. That's a tab right up at the top there. Put their name in the nomination form. It takes about 30 seconds, and it could put a band that you've discovered on the air. And while you're there, look around. Read the reviews. Check out the band bios. Comment on the blog. Do all those good things that are there. Now, wait a minute. I think we have a caller on the line. We do have a caller on the line. Just a second. We're going to take a we're going to take a look here and see. Yes, we do. We have a caller on the line. Hi there. Hello, hello. Is this Peter? Yeah, uh, from Polaris Rose. Right. This is boy. Are we lucky today? We've got the lead singer Polaris Rose, Peter Anthony, on the line. Peter, great to hear from you. And I know you've got a show coming up, don't you? Yes, we do. This upcoming Sunday, we're playing at the Virgil in Silver Lake. The Virgil in Silver Lake, and and if for all those listeners in the Southern California who may have been around L.A. for a while, uh, you might remember the Virgil as the Temple Bar in East Hollywood. Silver Lake has kind of moved a little west since then, but uh, it's a great place. It's a great place. So, our, our, when are you on? We're we're playing earlier in the night. We're playing at eight thirty. Are you are you on with a number of other bands? Yeah, we're playing with. Uh, Actually, some good friends of ours, Handsome as Sin, Tijuana Tears, and Yosemite Sleeping. Wow, that sounds like a pretty awesome show. <laughs> I, I, it's I going to be rock. I'm, a, I'm, I'm sure it is. I, you know what? I think I'm just going to DVR my, my Homeland TV show Sunday night and come on <laughs> down to the Virgil instead. <laughs> is, is this part of a tour that you and uh, Maddie, um, Matt, uh, the other half of Polaris, Madeline and Elise, are, are on? Have you got other shows lined up? Right now, we're just keeping it local. Actually, we're working on some new shows for January. We're going to take it easy for December, work on some new projects. So oh. right now, yeah, right now we're just focused on uh, the Virgil. 
Okay. All right. Well, you've got an album out too now, The Moon and Its Secrets. That's right. You're gonna be you're gonna be playing some uh, cuts from that album. We're gonna play yeah, the whole kit and caboodle plus some uh, some new tracks as well. Okay. Well, you know what? Um, I just happen to have a cut from the uh, from the album up here, Dreamers. I'm gonna play just a little bit so we can give our audience a sampling of what they're gonna hear Sunday night. Terrific. Well, I'd love to play the whole thing, uh, but uh, unfortunately, we are pretty much out of time. So I want to make sure that everybody heard that. Um, Peter and um, yeah. Maddie are going to be playing. That's Polaris Rose. They're going to be playing Sunday night at the Virgil Theater in East, in East Hollywood, sometimes known as uh, West Silver Lake. Uh, the address is 4519 Santa Monica Boulevard. 4519 Santa Monica Boulevard, and the other play, the other bands there are Tijuana Tears, Handsome Miss Sin, and Yosemite Sleeping. And oh, for those who've never been there, the Farm to Bar craft cocktails at the Virgil are some of the best in L.A. So while you're thinking of it, book yourself for Sunday night and download the new Polaris Rose album, The Moon and Its Secrets, from iTunes. Um, and also take a look at my uh, review of the album in Vince Magazine, because this is an album that should be on your playlist. Peter, thanks so much for calling in, and we'll see you Sunday night. Great. Thanks so much, Patrick. Okay, we have to take a quick break right now, and when we come back, Noctambule will join us. Don't go away. You're listening to Music Friday. Our troops aren't the only ones fighting right now. Thousands of military families are in crisis. They're fighting financial battles, how to pay the bills, even how to keep their homes and feed their children. You can help by supporting Operation Homefront, a national nonprofit that provides emergency assistance for military families and for wounded warriors when they come home. To learn more about how you can help, go to OperationHomefront.net. Cameo Entertainment Group and CyberStation USA are now part of Stitcher, a free radio app for your smartphone. With Stitcher, you can listen to live programming as well as archive radio programming right on your phone. To obtain Stitcher, just go to the App Store for your particular phone. Go to search, then type in Stitcher. That's Stitcher. S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R. S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R. Then download. It's that simple. Stitcher, a free radio app for your smartphone. Convenient access to live and archive CyberStation USA programming on your mobile phone. That's Stitcher. S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R. CyberStation USA. Always on the go. And we're back. You're listening to Fairness Doctrine's new show, Music Friday. And I want to make sure that uh, you all uh, know that uh, you can call in. You can call in at 347-215-7511, or you can email us at musicfridaylive at gmail.com. Of course, I'm your host, Patrick O'Heffernan, your host of Music Friday. Let me give a quick shout-out to our terrestrial radio listeners. A special hi to the folks at KSKQFM in Ashland, Oregon, and their big new tower that lets them be heard all over the place. And also remind everybody that Music Friday is brought to you by Solar City. Solar City is America's number one provider of clean energy, and we're going to tell you a lot more about that later. 
But right now, right now, you know, Paris is not what it used to be. The left bank, described in stories and paintings, has been gentrified. The brothel bars with the near-naked women in the windows have been replaced by wine bars that keep the names of their predecessors but not the hospitality. The dusty book dealers and smoky all-night cafes on ramshackle alleys have pretty well vanished. In their place, you've got hip clothing stores and bakery bars and clean streets. Gone are the lines of overflowing garbage cans poet Robert Service romanticized in lines chronicling his all-night rambles with his doorman through Paris's mixing pot, the red-light district of the 1870s where the high and mighty mingled nightly with the low and lost. The band Noctambule's debut album brings it all back in music. Precise guitar picking, accordion washes, 12-string harmonies, and exquisite singing that tell nocturnal stories, sometimes with seriousness, sometimes with a smile, but always with a moonshadow tinge. Noctambule is made up of my dear friends Marla Feibish and Bruce Victor, both superb musicians and now newly married. Bruce and Marla, I'm so happy to have you on Music Friday. Thank you, Patrick. We're delighted to be here. Uh, Bruce, over the years, I have known your music in many guises. You Acoustic guitar picking, brash blues, Irish and English folk music. And Marla, I've known you as an Irish music queen with a mandolin in one hand and an accordion in, a, in another, not at the same time. So how <laughs> did the two of you come together to fashion an album based on poets, especially Robert Service and his tales of rambles in the Paris of the 1870s? Bruce, I think well, that question was aimed at you. Oh, either one. Oh, Marla, right. why don't you jump in? I'll start. Uh, okay. And, uh, Marla will pick in. Uh, 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 we'll uh, uh, chime in. Actually, where it started was that uh, Marla, Marla and I were going to collaborate on an entirely different project having to do with um, a uh, very famous Irish uh, musician coming to the acoustic vortex. And in that process, I wound up hearing um, music that Marla had written wherein she put poetry to music, uh, Robert Service, Alfred Lloyd Tennyson. And I have heard a lot of music, played a lot of music, but I said to her and out loud to myself, I really want to be a part of this music. And golly, you play on these high instrument, high tinkly instruments, mandola, mandolin. I happen to know a guitarist playing predominantly in low tunings with a feeling for this music, which was shameless on my part. And uh, uh, Marla gave me, uh, had uh, then sent over three songs for me to add accompaniments to. And, uh, and since that day, there's been an ongoing, uh, ongoing spiral and synergistic uh, process with this. Well, it so, certainly worked, but uh, let, let's listen to a, a little bit of the album. Here's the, here's the title song, Travel in Shadows. I ask of you, love, a journey through the dark town. Shut out your dreams, enter with your sky, my eyes, stretch out in my blood as it Dreams. You will go 
Well, that certainly is a, uh, a beautiful way to start a, start an album. Now, um, I understand that was your first collaboration. Is that right, uh, Marla? Yeah, that's the first um, song we wrote together um, after we sort of had decided on the, the theme of, the ni- of Night Journeys for the album. Bruce uh, excitedly pulled up a, a number of new, new poems that I hadn't seen before, and, and, this, and the, um, he came across the collection of sonnets uh, from Pablo Neruda, um, that 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 eventually became that song. So it was uh, that was the first song we wrote together. Yep. Well, did you start with a line of poetry or a concept or a feeling, and and, and how did it progress from there? Uh, in the song. Yeah. Well, no, in the uh, writing. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, going through these sonnets, but there was just these fantastic concepts and. Um, as I have, uh, there's always some editing involved, right? So when uh, the the things that make a, a fantastic poem aren't necessarily all the same elements that make a good song. So we did a little uh, choosing of our favorite lines and uh, rearranging and placing them together. You know, you sort of look for what might make a chorus or what might make a bridge, um, and uh, you go from there. Well, it, 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 like I say, it, it certainly worked, um, and uh, you, you do evoke Paris at night and uh, the whole travel with, with shadows concept very well. Now, I, I want to switch okay. tempos here and also switch countries uh, or switch locations. Chester City In the dark hour Late at night Who should I spy A very young maiden Washing her clothes In the pale moonlight Madam I'm a darling A diro diro Madam I'm a darling A diro day First she washed them Then she Well, we're not in Paris anymore, but of course we're still in the night. That's an old English folk tune, isn't it, Bruce? I think it's I, I think it's an old Irish folk tune. I'm not I'm not exactly sure. Okay. I, uh, mm-hmm. It is Irish. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It, it is Irish. Okay. Um, and and how did that sneak in there? Oh, that was a song that we just loved to play together. And um, and then we realized, yes, it too uh, was about a night journey through the Irish countryside by this uh, either very seductive or inept uh, Irish Lothario. Uh, and as we are wont to do, we took uh, we took uh, uh, some of the more conventional arrangements and rearranged it, rearranged it again, and. Um, uh, for the guitarists out there, I yanked off two regular strings and put two octave strings where the regular one, uh, thing was, uh, strings were, and uh, came up with uh, that version. I, I would also add that it wound up on the album because we both felt strongly about having um, 
some, at least one traditional song. We originally were going to have more than one traditional song uh, on the album uh, in addition to uh, our originals. We had to eliminate a lot of stuff that we originally wanted to put on just because we had <laughs> way more than an hour's worth of music. Yeah, yeah I, I want to... For a second album. <laughs> Sorry, I, I want to uh, point out to our, our listeners uh, that... Uh, there's 12 songs in this album. You really get your money's worth on this album. And uh, uh, they, it's also gorgeous. Uh, in addition to having gorgeous music, the album was, uh, cover was designed by our friend Corinne West. It has a, a illustrated booklet in it with the lyrics and the stories. The, uh, it, it is just a magnificent um, work of art. And uh, I imagine that it, it took you quite a while to put this together, didn't it? Yeah, we put a huge yeah. amount of uh, thought into the into the uh, into the whole package because we we really had the concept of an album where you sit down, you listen to the whole thing while you're holding the liner notes and reading through the liner notes. You know, it's sort of an old-fashioned experience that uh, <laughs> it, it's not the way music is consumed so much anymore. But certainly from our generation, it is. And, that's what, what we wanted. Well, that, that's how I did it because uh, I, I have a copy of it in, in front of me. Oh, and I was, I was so thankful to have the lyrics because uh, it, it's very difficult sometimes to tell what the lyrics are. And, of course, when you're dealing with poetry, you want the lyrics. So this, you really thought it through nicely. And uh, I want to uh, make sure that our listeners know this is something that uh, uh, an album that you should have on your playlist, but you really should also have it on your shelf. Now, um, I want to uh, also something else I like about the album is that um, you've included some, some just pure instrumentals. And given the fact that the two of you are are ex- excellent, just superb musicians as well as writers and singers, the the the, the instrumentals in it are wonderful. And I want to play a little bit of one of them. This I believe this is about a cat, Captain Chalupa. <laughs> You know, this is one of those pieces of music that um, you can hear the smile come through the uh, your earphones or your speakers. You guys must have had a great time playing and, and writing that. Yeah. We did. Oh, my God, we do. <laughs> but, but for the story, I must defer to Marla because, well, it's her cat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so Captain Chalupa. Captain Chalupa is uh, my, my cat who... Um, He's quite the bruiser, you know, he's sort of a tough guy. Um, and I sort of had reached the conclusion that he, uh, under cover of night, becomes a superhero and goes flying over the streets of Oakland, uh, vanquishing crime and avenging his enemies. And 
just um, so the tune is sort of has the silly idea of you can just sort of see the cat in the super suit and <laughs> one paw extended forward, you know. <laughs> um. That's such a, a nice blend of what sounds, and correct me on this one, what sounds like a rhythm guitar and a mandolin. Uh, is, is there other things going on in there? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nope, that's kind of it, pretty, pretty much. And, and you can, if um... you hear the smile coming through, then it's fantastic, because that's what... Uh, that's what we always have in our faces when we play it, and we hope that it evokes in the listeners. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you, you really can. I mean, that, that's one of those things that just, it's with songs that's just really happy. Um, you know, I've, I've seen the two of you play live, and both together and, and separately, and so I know that you have a, a great deal of fun on stage. Um, what was it like being in the studio putting together an album with 12 songs on it? You know, the, you find out how differently you work from each other. You know, that um, the, the, li- the live music making is one thing, but then, then there's the sort of picking it apart, and the whole studio experience is a very different from, from a performance experience. So I think our, our propensities complemented each other most of the time, but there were times when I needed to excuse myself <laughs> so that Bruce could really, um, you know... Uh, not have me in the way while while he was laying down his tracks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, now, did you get married before or after you put this together? <laughs> we were engaged when we put it together. Then came the album, and 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 um, uh, in uh, it was released in April. We were married, as you know. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in, Having been at the wedding, May. so arg- arguably the album was born out of wedlock. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I would just underline that it, usually there was a complementarity because what I will listen to in a recording, what Marla will listen to, uh, overlaps but isn't exactly the same thing. So it it uh, so it actually uh, there was I would say harmonious most of the time in that way, but not all. <laughs> That that that's uh, that shows in the album. We're getting some emails in. Um, Samson in Seattle says, "This is great. This is the kind of music I never have an opportunity to listen to." Do you guys ever play uh, outside of California? And I guess he means Seattle here. You bet we do. Actually, we're going to be uh, booking a Northwest tour coming up in the next, uh, you know, for hopefully the, the the spring or summer of 2014. I just. Uh, I have to speak to my booking agent. That would be my other hand. <laughs> and get on it. So if he has any ideas for uh, great venues uh, that, that would suit us or house concerts, we, our absolute favorite thing in the world to do is play house concerts. So if he's got any ideas, please shoot us an email or you can contact us through the website. Okay. Uh, and, the website and what is the website? It's uh, noctambulemusic.com. Noctambul music and Noctambul is spelled. You might want to spell that out for everybody. N O C T A M B U L E. It's like noct as in nocturnal and ambul as in perambulation. And uh, the word actually comes from a, a, a Neruda poem, doesn't it? Uh, service, actually. It's a, it's a oh. French word. Um, that in French it means sleepwalker or nightwalker. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the poems that uh, we that uh, we put to music in uh, from Robert Service from his Ballads of Bohemian Parisian Years is is entitled Nocturnal. Uh, we have another email here, and this is from Moreno in Austin. And Moreno knows, do you have any Irish poets on the album? <laughs> Great question. And Very I think good question. Yeah. I think we do not. Uh, uh, we do not on this one. No. My goodness. That, that, that's, a, that's a surprise, given A, your Irish music background, and B, the proliferation of Irish poets since the 15th century. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have to, have to yeah. work on that next, in your next album. Um, yeah, and there uh, is a long tradition of uh, both Irish and Scots poets uh, being put to music, and, and many of the songs that, that are popular in the tradition are originally from poems. Actually, right. I, I have put some to music, and they're just not on the album. Ones, there's actually a few that Bruce haven't, hasn't even heard. So, <laughs> so, and this um, is how I find out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could be worse, Bruce. Right? Um, Lasher in, in Nashville wants to know, how many instruments does Marla play? Uh there are mostly varieties of, of similar things, but I play mandolin, mandola, um, tenor guitar, guitar, bazooki, um, and various systems of button accordion. Okay. All right. That's, that's quite a bit. That's, I think that's quite that's a bit. Uh, all, all strings except for the, the, the accordion there. Um, yeah. Well, um, you guys are both, because um, I know you both, I know you're both epicenters of very large music communities, and you pull together a lot of people uh, to put this album together, and uh, it really shows. Uh, real quick, we've got about a minute left. Uh, any other albums? You got another album in the works? <laughs> it depends who you ask. Uh, <laughs> I think in, in my mind, yes. Uh, uh, I haven't checked in with Mal about that of late, but... Uh, but uh, the question is, the is when. <laughs> it is in the planning stage. It's just a question of when we go back in the studio because we have enough material for a second album. Sure. Okay, well, uh, we are just about out of time. And the reason, I, the way I know that is because I hear uh, a waltz in, in the, uh, the background here. So I just want to make sure that uh, everybody knows how to get your music. They can download Travel in the Shadows at www.noctambulemusic.com or at CD Baby. I strongly suggest ordering the CD because it's beautifully done. Gorgeous graphics by Corinne West. It's really a work of the whole thing is a work of art. I want to thank you guys very much for being with us. Thank you Patrick, so much for having us, Patrick. Okay. Thank you. All right, and uh, we'll see you uh, soon, I hope. Okay. I want to remind everybody. All right. Bye now. Bye. <laughs> I want to remind everybody that we are sponsored by Solar City, America's number one provider of clean energy. Solar City will come out and they will install. They will install a solar panel, a whole solar system actually, on your home for no money down. No upfront cost with approved credit. You just pay for the energy you use like you do now, except that you'll be using less of it because the sun is making it for you. So that's a win-win. You save money and help the earth, and you can save even more money if you mention Music Friday when you call Solar City. 
That's right. If you call my friend Tina at Solar City and you tell her that Music Friday sent you, you'll get a $250 discount on your order. And her number is 909-618-6937. That's 909-618-6937. Don't forget now. Tell her we sent you, and you'll get a $250 discount on your order. We're going to take a real quick break right now, and when we come back, Sini Anderson and her new film on Kathleen Hanna, The Punk Singer. Don't go away. You're listening to Music Friday. I'm Patrick O'Heffernan. Our troops aren't the only ones fighting right now. Thousands of military families are in crisis. They're fighting financial battles, how to pay the bills, even how to keep their homes and feed their children. You can help by supporting Operation Homefront, a national nonprofit that provides emergency assistance for military families and for wounded warriors when they come home. To learn more about how you can help, go to OperationHomefront.net. And we're back. This is Patrick O'Heffern and your host on Music Friday, and we have a real treat coming up for you. Boy, do we ever. Women, as you now know, make up a majority of the United States population, 52%. And the growth in girl numbers has been accompanied by a growth in girl power. A majority of the United States workforce is now female. 20 female U.S. senators hold office today, and that's a record. A completely female congressional delegation represents the conservative state of New Hampshire. Women voters were responsible for electing and re-electing President Obama, and they just put the first Democrat in decades into the governor's mansion in Virginia. Almost one in five American cities now has a woman mayor. The impact of the third wave of feminism is all around us, as are the women who are coming of age in the 90s when Kathleen Hanna and her band Bikini Kill kicked off the Riot Girl music scene. Girls who bought Bikini Kill records and managed to get into their concerts are now in their 30s and 40s and serving in Congress and city councils and governorships and managing companies and running foundations and producing movies and television and heading up fire and police departments and, of course, leading bands and shredding guitars. Some of these women can trace their growth directly to Bikini Kill. Others flourish in the larger liberating environments of Kathleen Hanna, Toby Vale, Kathy Wilcox, Joan Jett, Allison Wolf, and many other riot girls fostered with music and zines and later film and books. Jeannie Anderson captures that context in The Punk Singer, her remarkable documentary on Kathleen Hanna. She has created an intensely intimate and culturally powerful personal portrait of Kathleen using music, archive footage, up-close and personal conversations with Kathleen, her husband, her contemporaries, and band members. Sini has taken us into and along with the life of one of the most significant women in recent American history and recent American music and one of the most important influences on today's women in American culture. Kathleen Hanna is currently giving lectures, DJing on occasion, and most importantly, performing with her new band, The Julie Ruin. Sini Anderson is with us today to tell us about the film. Hi, Sini. Welcome to Music Friday. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Uh, Sini, the film opens next week. That's the 29th in New York and Los Angeles, and then the following week nationwide. Are you excited or are you just relieved? That's a good question. I'm a little bit of both. Um, 
I am totally excited that it's opening, and um, and of course I'm totally <laughs> I'm totally relieved as well. Um, originally, um, IFC is the distributor that picked up our film, and originally we thought that we would be um, opening in four cities theatrically. And as of this morning, I just got word that we're opening in 34 cities. So it's totally exciting. It's a lot. Wow, of, you congratulations. Know, more than Thank you. Thanks. So I'm pretty stoked about it. Uh, and that was a lot more than you had counted on, right? It, it is. It sure is. Well, the early reviews, and of course the, the festival uh, reviews have really been good. And I've seen the film, and I think it's remarkable. But I have, my first question has got to be, why did you decide for your first documentary film, your first full-length documentary film, to document a 90s punk band? I would have to say that the decision was to document Kathleen Hanna more than her punk band, uh, Bikini Kill. Um, and the answer to the question of why Kathleen Hanna, I mean, I've been making political arts and uh, doing performance since the 90s myself, and I'm pretty interested in other people's stories, other people's stories may inspire me. And I would have to say across the board and across the genres, uh, Kathleen Hanna's work as a feminist artist has been the most inspiring to me, and I think also to most of uh, the gen my generation of feminist artists. So it, it was kind of the perfect place to start, and, and, and at the same time, it was aiming pretty high. Um, you know, she, she means a lot to a lot of people, so there's a lot of pressure in that way. Um, how did you two meet? Kathleen and I met at a music festival, um, a feminist music festival, like around 2000 or so. Um, I was performing, and she was performing with her band, La Tigra. Um, we had a mutual friend in common, Tammy Ray Carlin, who used to be uh, part owner and operator of Mr. Lady Records. Um, and so something that I used to do called Sister Spit was on Mr. Lady Records, as was La Tigra. Um, and so we met at that music festival, and we just kind of became fast friends. Well, the other thing I, ha I have to ask is that um, what was in the water in Olympia, Washington in the 90s? It seems like so many revolutionary things came out of the, that town in that period. Um, yeah, you know, that's so funny because um, when I was touring in the 90s, you know, I was living in San Francisco and um, doing something called Sister Spit, which was a spoken word, all one right. thing. Every time we would go to Olympia, we would, we would say exactly that, like, what is in the water here? It was, like, amazing to go there. Um, and I think the answer to that question uh, was punk rock feminism. So I would have to say my friends were in the water there. You know, they were creating community. They were being loud about it. They were being supportive to each other about it in, in best cases. And they were just getting really creative with how to get their work out there. And, um, and, and Olympia is a small place, so everybody knew what everybody was doing. And it, it, it certainly worked. And, of course, for, for those of you who uh, may not have been around at the time, there was a, uh, a national um, advertising campaign by a beer company talking about the great water that they use from Olympia, Washington. So there's kind of a, a double entendre going on there. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. Um, 
Hannah once referred to the, the Riot Girl Manifesto she wrote as her dork manifesto. But I think it shows that she was aware of the history that she was creating. Did, did you two talk about this, about her awareness at the time of the impact that she was having and that she was going to have? You know, we did. We did talk about that. And, and you know, as somebody who knows Kathleen, it's always been really apparent to me. Like, she's a really prolific artist. Um, so before I even started the documentary, I, I kind of I kind of go with the idea that nothing happens by accident with Kathleen. Um, I think that she is a um, she's a revolutionary thinker, but she's also a very long thinker. I think she thinks far into the future, and so you know she had hopes and dreams, and she she saw what she wanted to have happen in a feminist art community. Um, and so I think she was really aware of what that, that what she was putting out there was something that was going to be um, still being paid attention to years to come. We did talk about it in the documentary, and she, um, you know, her take on that was she was it gave her fuel. You know, she wanted to keep creating change. She it was the thing that I mean, some of your listeners will know this. People either love Kathleen or they hate her. So she went through a lot. Of, I mean, she took a, she took on a lot of negative energy from the people that did not like her or wanted to kind of pick her apart for everything that she was doing. And the people that did believe in her and love her so much, she, I think, took that energy of those people saying, hey, the things you're saying are like saving my life. Like literally, I feel less alone. And I think that she took the positive things that were coming out of it and she took that idea of, like, projecting an idea way into the future. And I think it helped her get through all of the really, really hard stuff that was trying to tear her down so that she didn't disappear, you know. And I think so she was strong enough to just say, I have a vision. I'm going to do it at any cost. I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to kind of ignore these people that are trying to tear me down. In fact, I think at one point either she or Kathy Wilcox, I forget, talk about some of the, the letters that she got from men saying, you need to die, but also mm-hmm. some of the letters that she got from women saying, you saved my life, and Kathleen wrote back saying, no, you saved mine. Right. So it was, yeah, so, which is a, a, um, a relationship with an audience before Facebook and Twitter, etc. That was remarkable. Absolutely. Now, fans struggle to have those kind of relationships today with the tools they have, and she was able to have it uh, in 1990 with, with, without those tools, just with, with letters and, and phone calls. Um, but speaking of that, uh, as, as you're probably aware, there's a robust debate going on in feminist literature right now, in the blogs and tumblers and journals, about whether or not Riot Girl was really just a middle-class, white, heterosexual women's movement that left out women of color and lesbians and transsexual, tra- transgender women. You don't address this in the film. Did, did you and Kathleen talk about it? No, we didn't. In fact, Kathleen didn't really talk with me at all about what I was going to uh, address in the film, um, which is really amazing and trusting. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, I'm totally terrified, and I want to tell my story, but you're the person I'm going to tell it to. So, you know, if I tell my story, you have to make it. And then it was pretty much up to me to figure out which parts um, of her story I wanted to get her to talk about. 
Now, I mean, the very, very, very nature of most feminists is that we hold the belief that we have to speak to every political cause that there is. That we should, the idea is almost that, you know, I mean, yes, we're superheroes in a lot of ways, but we cannot speak to um, every oppression. Um, now, what was happening with Kathleen and her band in the 90s and what was happening with Ryko was really, really white. And it was really middle class, and it was very educated. This just happened to be who they were and who they were hanging around with. Now, I, my belief is that they reached out and tried to be as inclusive as possible during that time. But I don't think that they were willing to stop a movement from happening if they couldn't reach everybody they needed to reach. So, and I also don't believe that they, Michael as a whole, knew that they were a movement. You know, I think that they were thinking themselves as like this cool thing that was happening in a period of time. Um, but that's a really great question for some of the founders of the Viacom movement. Um, and also, you know, it kind of occurred to them through my conversations with Kathleen, what I've gathered is as they were getting into this and, and discovering that it was becoming a movement, they they were they were kind of like, oh, I don't know how, how to run a movement. How how are we supposed to do this? Like this isn't something that they prepared for. Um, so yeah, there is there is like, okay, where were the women of color? Um, where were the trans folks? Um, where were uh, the people that didn't come from middle class backgrounds? I mean, I personally did not connect that much to, to the Viacom movement. I was in another movement that was happening at the same time that was about music and punk and feminism, but it was queer core. Uh, but I didn't go to high school. I didn't go to college. So when they were talking about feminist texts, it, it lost, I was lost. I was just like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, 20 years later, of course, I know all of those texts, and it makes a lot more sense to me. Um, but they were very supportive of the queer of the queer core movement. Like I know that Kathleen and uh, Bikini Kill were booking as many shows as possible with other queer bands. Um, mm -hmm. I know that they were doing a lot of, I mean, they stood up and reached out to as many people who they felt like had similar ideals as possible. In the end, you can't force things. Mm -hmm. um, but were they, in, were they inclusive? Absolutely. I think that they were absolutely inclusive. Um, I don't know who, how far their reach was getting at the time. And then I'll just say, like, an interesting fact to that is, like, you know, they could say something like, there is a rival chapter in Kansas City. And they would write that, and it would become fact. But mm -hmm. that Riotville chapter in Kansas City was only two girls. <laughs> it, it was a chapter, but there were only two girls, you know? So um, it's pretty fascinating stuff, yeah. you know? It's kind of like say it so and then make it so. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you, you, and, per you portray that very well. I mean, that, that comes through in the portrait that you, you've painted of, of Kathleen. Uh, uh, I believe she said something like, talk about it, do it. Yeah. And uh, totally. you, you capture that uh, very nicely. And, of course, nobody knows how to run a movement. Uh, <laughs> that's the nature of movements. So, uh, totally. um, 
However, to, to try to extend that a little bit, uh, in uh, the Le Tigres song, Bang Bang, uh, which mm -hmm. is about the, the New York police shooting an unarmed black man, um, she sings, well, first of all, she included that song in um, the, uh, the set list of uh, Le Tigre, which means, to me at least, that, that uh, it wasn't only concerns about white men girls for finding them finding their themselves that this was a much broader intellectually that she was much broader and and what she's mm -hmm. doing is much broader and I think that that drives that home quite nicely um, mm -hmm. but there's some interesting lines in that that song um, and I'm going to bleep a little bit here so they can we can say them on the radio uh, there's no bleeping way this is not about race Bang, bang, daddy, I want you dead. Bang, bang, daddy, get out of my head. Bang, bang, daddy, I want you dead. Bring me Giuliani's head. Um, who is she singing about there? And, and the reason I'm asking that is that several times during the film, she alludes to abuse by her father, but at one point she categorically says it was not sexual. However, the, the level of animosity towards her father is remarkable, not to mention the level of animosity towards the mayor of New York. Um, did you two talk about how much to put in the film about her relationship to her father and its impact on her music and her outlook? Um, yeah, of course we did, you know, and um, I think that it's what, what you see in the final cut of the film is something that Kathleen is comfortable with. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a couple of different questions in your question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the question of her relationship with her father that's really personal, and I think that hopefully someday Kathleen's going to write a book, and, you know, we'll know more about that. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about sexual abuse of any kind, it is mm -hmm. really personal and super, mm -hmm. super complex to the individual that you're speaking about. Mm -hmm. So what you see in the film there is a little bit of downplaying and there's a little bit of her saying, you know, I have the language that I have that, that makes me feel comfortable. So that's mm -hmm. what she says. She mm -hmm. says, he did not physically rape me. Mm -hmm. Now, that's, that's really, mm -hmm. it, was it sexual abuse? Was it inappropriate? Like, that's up for Kathleen to say when she becomes comfortable. But I think that you have to have a lot of awareness about the complexities of abuse to know that she's not saying that her father didn't sexually abuse her. Mm -hmm. She's saying he did not rape her. Mm -hmm. Okay? So and there's a no there's a whole there's a whole other language within here. And then there's another there's another part where four women that are survivors, we have a tendency to downplay and say, um, so and so's experience was so much more horrific than mine. Like mm -hmm. mine mine was okay. You know? And, she and says that's that. just yeah, and that's just, and that's like, oh, there we have it. So if you have some complexities and a little bit of confusion coming from one of the most powerful uh, feminist artists of our time um, and her having a little bit of a difficult time talking about it, imagine somebody who doesn't feel as empowered as Kathleen Hammond does and how it is for them to talk about it. And so that's why I think it was so incredibly brave for her to come on screen being a little bit unresolved about what the situation was. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I thought that that was totally radical and awesome. I thought as I saw the, the, the film, um, a question that occurred to me is, why do we even need to know? Why, why do we 
why does she talk about it? Um, the, the whole, everything she's, all her music, the, the zines, the whole situation, what I think moved along very nicely if, if, if um, any possible abuse by her father had never entered the picture. And maybe I'm being naive here. Maybe you can, and feel free to tell me if I am. Yeah, yeah, sure. You mean in the actual film? Yeah, or in yeah, her music it, 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 uh, overall. Right. Why do why do we even need? Why does this even have to come up? Well, see, this is this is such a great question, Patrick. It's it, this is this is the essence of Kathleen Hanna. This is the reason that she. I mean, she is so incredibly talented and such a great musician, thinker, and singer. The nature of her work is why do we even have to know about this? Like that is the work that she creates. And the answer to why would we need to know about this, like A, B, or C, um, is so that we don't feel alone in our own experiences. And so I think that that's what Kathleen's work has done for generations of women, um, is to say, listen, you're not crazy. You don't have to sit alone with this. More of, there are more people out here who have experienced what you've experienced, and I'm going to call it out, you know? And so... You, it's really, really hard to get anywhere when you feel depressed and isolated. And when you've had heavy experiences in your life that have to do with sexual assault, and, and those and you're not having conversations about it with other women, it's going to be really hard to feel motivated. You're going to feel a little bit crazy. And so, the, and you know, also what comes out in the film is Kathleen's struggle with some of her health problems right now. Mm -hmm. That also happens to be a disease that society and, and that the American Medical Association is telling people doesn't exist right now. So there's a real thread of her work, and that's what mm -hmm. I wanted to show in the film, is that there's this thread that connects her work. She was first standing up and saying, no, I want girls in the mosh pit. I want girls in the front, boys to the back. Like, enough. We need some space. Then I love she that was standing up. Yeah. Then she's standing up and saying, all of you women, you can play instruments. Stop telling you that you don't know how to play. Um, and then she was going on to say, listen, these, um, these queers, these queers are our allies, are our friends. Stop being homophobic. You know, it kind of goes all the way down the line of what she calls out. She doesn't have to address any of that. And now where she is 20 years later is saying, listen, I'm sick. And I was getting misdiagnosed for six years. And nobody could tell me what was wrong with me. And I had all the resources in the world. So, like, she's naming the experience that nobody is talking about. And that kind of voice to such, to, like, such important personal um, situations that are, have, that are happening with women, like if we don't hear other people talking about this stuff, we just, you know, it's really easy to get depressed and feel alone with it. Um, one of the remarkable things about this, this, this very remarkable film is the amount of archival film you were able to find and include. Uh, it seems that from an early age, Kathleen and her family filmed virtually waking moment of her life. Uh, was selecting footage one of, one of your biggest challenges so that you could portray what you just told us about? You know, that's a good question. And I'll, I will say that it's, um, I'm, I'm glad that it appears that way, that uh, every waking moment was documented, because it was not. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, there, 
there really was not um, a ton. There's hardly any footage of her as a kid. I don't think that we have any. Um, but the amount of archival footage of the music that was happening in the 90s with uh, this third wave of feminism, there was a media blackout. They were very anti-cameras, anti-documentation. But there were some people out there that were doing it. They were generous enough to send us some footage. Some of the most beautiful footage that you see in the film um, of Bikini Kill um, was from a filmmaker in the UK named Lucy Thane. And she followed them around on one of the UK tours. And we just got super lucky to get that footage. Uh, Lucy's an old friend. And she was like, yeah, I think you'll do good stuff with it. Um, Abby Mosier was another person who lent us some great footage. But, you know, all of this amazing footage was like, yeah, it was kind of tucked away in different places. Now, the putting it together is a whole other thing. I have to say that uh, towards the end of the, uh, the post-production process, we were really stuck. Uh, we had run out of money. We had run out of editing space. Um, I really was pushing and needed, really felt like I needed to finish the film because of the timing of what was happening. Just the political climate right now, I just really wanted it out this year. Um, and one of our producers, that's when she came on, Tamara Davis, who is super talented at what right. she does. And um, she really got in there with our editor, Bo Mirad, and they, they really dug through that archival footage. Um, and it was the first time, like, my, my more, my more con concentration was on Kathleen today and her story, not so much the archival footage. Um, I was still grappling with what, what, what do we tell people about her and about the current footage that we have. So Tamara Davis and Bill went in there, and they really, totally kicked butt just putting together well, a lot of those people. It, it certainly worked very well. And, of course, film is a, is a collaborative medium, uh, as, you, as you point out. Um, we're almost out of time, but there's, there's one question I wanted to, uh, very much to ask you, because you've been an, an observer of, um, of women uh, in uh, our society for some years now, and you've also been a documentarian of one of the influences on how our society and women uh, interrelate. Do you see the impact of Riot Girl movement, and do you think it's been positive? Oh, yeah, I see it all over the place. It's amazing. It's funny. I mean, I do see it all over the place. I look... Um, Here's a real quick example of how I see it. When we premiered the film itself by Southwest, we had a press day that we were doing, and um, I was meeting some of the writers out front, and they were women in their late 20s, early 30s, and they were all saying the same thing. Like, the reason that I'm a writer today is because I found Bikini Kill or because I found Kathleen Hanna. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot of empowerment that was given to young, young women through that 90s movement. And they have the belief that they're smart and that they can go out there and create work and take up space. And I think that is a direct result of third-wave feminism. And third-wave feminism is a direct result of second-wave feminism. And you get the idea. Yeah, I get the so, idea. Um, and we still need it to continue. And um, so I'm super excited about the young feminists that are out there doing work now. And, of course, they all know who Kathleen Hanna is. And, um, and most of them appreciate her. 
and thanks to you, many, many more people know who Kathleen Hanna is. And we now are out of time, unfortunately. Uh, real quick, where should people go to get a list of the dates and screenings of uh, this film? Well, they can go to our Facebook page and like it, um, The Punk Singer on Facebook. You can go to um, thepunksinger.com, the website, to find the uh, release dates or to IFC's website. Um, any of those three will point you in the right direction. And, of course, you can also follow Kathleen, who's still out there working hard, at www.kathleenhanna.com. Uh, Cindy Anderson, the, the director of the remarkable film, which everybody who's listening right now should find and go see, it's The Punk Singer. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks a lot, Patrick. And we're back. This is Patrick O'Heffern and your host on Music Friday, and we have a real treat. That in order to uh, hear that treat, we want to remind you to go to The Punk Singer, www.thepunksinger.com. And right now, because we are out of time, let me remind you that you've been listening to Music Friday with Patrick O'Heffernan from the Cyber Station USA Network, the Blog Talk Radio Network, and our radio affiliates. Like our Facebook page, follow our Twitter feed at Music Friday Live, and you'll get a real-time update on our guests. Vote for your favorite musician on musicfriday.nationbuilder.com, and we will invite them to be on the show. That's Music Friday. Friday.nationbuilder.com. Our producer is Lars Christensen. Our program director is Jason Bartlebin. Our intern is Angela Serrano. Download this and other Music Friday programs at blogtalkradio.com Music Friday. Now, I want to remind everybody that next Friday is a holiday, so we're going to be off. We're off for Thanksgiving, and uh, we're going to play a classical Music Friday program. We're going to play our interview with Salvador Santana. This is one of the best interviews of the year, and you're going to love it, and you're going to love his music, too. So if you're all full of turkey and you just want to sit around and, and listen, put your earphones on or you know, go to the gym and work off some of that weight with your, with your uh, iPod, and you've got us in, on a, a podcast there, so put your earphones on and listen to where this man is going. We're going to be back December 6th. We're going to have Christmas songs by the wonderful Mindy Smith on December 6th. So be sure to download the podcast for next week and then tune in live December 6th. And once again, I want to remind everybody that the Punk Singer opens November 19th. It's going to open in um, Los Angeles and New York on November 19th and also in 34 other cities. Go to thepunksinger.com, and, and you can look up there where, if it's going to be opening in your city, and if so, what the theater is, because this is a movie that everybody needs to see, whether you were alive then, whether you knew about the Riot Girl uh, movement or not. This is an outstanding documentary. I think this is going to be one of the outstanding music documentaries of the year. Maybe, who knows, maybe there's an Oscar out there or a Golden Globe. But anyway, I'm going to say goodbye. We'll talk to you again next Friday. Bye. After two o'clock, see the lights are jumping, fish up your box. Time we all were humping. Waiters stack the chairs, pile them on the table. Let us do Lairs underneath the gables Up the old bull mish Climb the steps erratic Steady how I wish I was in my attic 
joyster, couldn't be the beer. 